Hi everyone, my name is Valerie. And I'm Marin. And welcome to The Modern Idealist, a podcast for career-driven professionals looking to make an impact. Welcome back guys to episode four. I'm Valerie, your host. And I'm your co-host Marin. This is The Modern Idealist. Hello Marin. Hey. Thank you for joining me back for another episode before we are physically split. Yes. Um, sounds like you're part of my body that, you know. <laughs> well, you know, we do have that closeness. <laughs> um, you know, I, I just want to kick off this episode with a review of our last episode. Um, because since then, I have had a few thoughts that I want to add on to what we talked about in the Great Resonation era. Um, you know, we did say that it, there was a lot happening within economic and non-economic factors, but I still think we could have um, added even more on the non-economic factors because there's just so little information out there on that. Um, and I've just been reflecting and thinking about it since then. And I mean, how much this is just a sign of the buildup of bad managers, you know, the lack of progress for people in this field, or not in this field, but in general, lack of opportunities, lack of purpose at work. And so with more than 10 million jobs open in the U.S. alone right now, no wonder people are, you know, finally making the jump. There's, there's finally this reason to, to go ahead and try for better opportunities and, and purpose. So I just think the, the buildup and how, what, how this is just a snapping point. Hmm. I mean, I can only speak for millennials in terms of, you know, with this great resignation that I think we've wanted better for so long. We wanted better working conditions. We've wanted to be more engaged in work. We want to be part of something bigger, not just feeling like a gerbil on the wheel. And that's a a huge impetus for now with all these job openings that people are resigning and they're wanting something more exciting, meaningful, um, something I can be passionate about. I yeah. think it's a narrative that our generation has grown up with. I think mm. much more than the baby boomers who were, you know, kids of uh, post World War Two, and the options just weren't as available as they are now. So mm. we, we've always been jumping from job to job. We've always been looking for new opportunities. We've been trying to find ways to do what we love and, you know, make a decent living from it as well. So I think this has been coming for a while and COVID is the impetus. Yeah, exactly. I think something that I hope people take away from this is I think it could be scary for many who have never left their position or has been a, it's been a while since they are, um, are making this jump. I think it can be really tough and difficult for to make change. But from one person who's going through that to another, you know, I think it's a great time to just make the most of the situation. And, you know, it's a way that we're, we're forced to renew ourselves. Mm. That may be derived from a recent happening to myself where, you know, <laughs> you're looking at me kind of like, you know, something's happening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe I should give everyone a just little a bit of a background here. Um, so, you know, I g- gave a hint about my visa complications yesterday. So I've been back and forth between Norway, between the U.S. and now in London. I mean, you know, my husband is Norwegian, so 
there's he's got a business there um so there's just a lot that we are trying to fit into our new solution or given the the hurdles these days in this visa complication where i needed to leave norway for a while and we don't really know how long we kind of had to reevaluate like how do we look forward from here and in the meantime i'm not forgetting things i still want in life you know i still want to grow my career which is I'm trying to figure out like, well, you know, I, I, ha- I mean, I know where I'm going, but I always want to like plan ahead. And it's kind of like any strategy, right? Like you plan for it to, to potentially change, but you still make a plan so that you you're driven to, to move a certain way. Um, and I still want to develop, you know, the world of impact work. I really want to still, you know, work with impact startups or to have impact in my own work. In, in social and environmental fields. Uh, I still want to pay my mortgage. I still want to grow my own investments. I still want to have savings to travel. I mean, I, I feel like I want too much, but you know, I'm kind of in a, I, I mean, I guess everybody would say they're in their prime time, but I always feel like I'm in my prime time right now. It's like, I need to broaden my horizons. I can't stop now. I'm still trying to develop my multinational identity between like Asia, Europe, and the US. And the I feel like there's a lot of, hard choices. And it's very funny because I, I I think I had, it's like accepting any difficult news, you know, you kind of take it with first with like confusion. And then I think there are those stages, you know, and then you go through anger and then you go through grief. And um, of course, yeah, it, when it's so personal to you, like myself, I, I had to go through all those stages. But it's funny because I, when I talk to people who are so good at coaching and people who are very good at, you know, just helping you see light at the end of the tunnel, they're just all kind of giving me the, you know, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade, you know, like see it as a way to like renew yourself or you can, you know, you could make the most of the situation. And it, it's funny how, how many times I've heard people try to encourage me with these words as well. And it's not that I, I don't, um, I don't see it that way. It's just when it's, for me, I just, uh, it's, I think that's, it's different, right? When it's, it's practical, it's yours and yeah, I think it's much easier to give advice to someone else and say, hey, I can see all this opportunity for you. But then when it comes to your own personal experience, I think it's harder sometimes. It, I don't know. I I find that when I'm coaching people as well. Sometimes I can see so clearly all the opportunities laid out in front of them and where they can go and all the different things that they can do. But for myself, maybe sometimes I limit those options in my mind and I have to think of myself from the outside as someone else in order to give myself that boost of energy of, yeah, this is possible. Yeah, exactly. And it's not to say that, um, you know, that's not the way to go about it. And of course it's helpful to actually get that, to get someone, you know, support you in looking for the way forward. I guess I'm, I'm still, you know, revolving around, like I said, all these things, all these things that I still want. Yeah. I still want to. Sorry, you go. I was just going back to, you know, the range of things that I'm trying to do at the same time. And I think sometimes you can kind of walk yourself into circles, Mm. you know. And I think sometimes, uh, I think it's something with our generation as well, that we often want to cram everything in. You know, there's a saying, it's like people overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in three years or five years. So sometimes having that long sum game and thinking of the long term, yeah, I can fit it all in. It's just not going to be in the space of a year. Mm. If you actually map it out, it's much more 
uh, feasible. Right. Hmm. So but there is something about the, you know, people can say to you, okay, this is what I see and here's the opportunities before you. But you also have to deal with the emotions, yeah. you know, because logically you can know, okay, yeah, maybe this is possible. But if you don't deal with the feelings, mm-hmm. you know, you've just basically uprooted your whole entire life. You've been in Oslo for four years. Now you have to be out of the country. You have to reevaluate how you're going to work, how you're going to do life, where your impact is going to be, all these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So it is a huge emotional transition. So it's no wonder that you're in this place. And logically, you understand it, but you've got to go through the emotions. And how do you deal with it? You just have to walk through it. Yeah. You brought up something earlier that I think, you know, is um, a very interesting framework or tool, way of life, you know, could could really be helpful to many people. And even for myself, for us now to explore, you know, could you introduce us to it? Yeah. So just as a take it back a little bit, we we're talking about dilemmas and we we're talking about how, you know, we're constantly going through these, these dilemmas of, You know, we've talked about making an impact while paying the mortgage or, you know, being able to travel and explore new cultures and have new experiences whilst also being climate conscious. There's all these kinds of dilemmas. And we also talked about just deliberations in general. Sometimes it's a dilemma and you have this moral dilemma, for example. Sometimes it's just a deliberation of what's next for me. What is the next phase of growth for my life? And you and I are constantly talking about our next phase of growth uh personally aspirationally and you know and the rest so i think uh, personally aspirationally and financially as well so you know i I was reflecting on for me sometimes it's not so much the, the dilemmas that keep me up at night but it's the deliberations and i feel quite fortunate uh in working for myself that i don't necessarily have to compromise so much of what I do because I can do the things that I'm passionate about whilst having a meaningful career and making decent money. But I was reflecting on the concept of this Japanese concept called Ikigai. And basically the principle is Ikigai is if you see it like a, a Venn diagram with four overlapping kind of circles and then there's one in the middle and you've got Uh, what you're skilled at, what you're passionate about, what the world needs and where you can make money. And this kind of forms this inner circle of finding your ikigai. And that changes over life. I think there's a few core things that we remain passionate about or that we really enjoy or where we find in terms of our skill sets, we get in a really good flow. But yeah, it does change. But I reflect a lot on... I just want to mention really quick to our listeners that I'll be posting this Venn diagram or this visual on the sessions photo or the sessions cover art. Mm. So you can see it there. I've heard of people doing a really good mapping exercise where they actually write out, okay, these are my skill sets. These are the things I'm passionate about. Trying to find the ikigai by doing, uh, by writing it all out and seeing where the overlap is in all of this. So that could be interesting for some of the listeners to do if you're in that spot where you want to find something. Yeah. Let's let's hear ours. So I wrote down those four questions. Well, let me just go ahead and introduce all of them. It's what you love, what the world needs, what you're good at, and what you can be paid for. And I see that on the Venn diagram um, when two of these 
questions overlap, then you have, you know, some something that defines what that is, like what you're good at and what you love. Usually that turns into your passion um, or like what you're good at, what you can be paid for as your profession. And going back to what Marin was saying, Ikigai is sort of right in the middle where all four actually overlaps. So let's explore, you know, the, these, these different ones. Let's start with the one that, you know, we like. What do we, what do you love? What do I love? I love talking. <laughs> I love connecting with yeah. people. I think most people do. It's interesting because when I'm coaching or, or working with individuals and, you know, maybe they want to start a company or they want to do something new in their organization, but it often starts with what are you really passionate about or what do you love? And a lot of people say, I love helping people. It's like, okay, I think most people as a society, you know, we want to be people that help people, but how do we break it down? So helping people for me is, I've reflected on this a lot over the last decade and a half, that I love to be able to see. (laughs) (laughs) I love being able to see people's, skills, abilities, and passions, maybe even their ikigai. I've never thought of it in those terms, but I love seeing where people can do meaningful, purposeful, passionate work and get paid for it. And uh, yeah, I really like being able to get up under them and equip them with, maybe it's a mindset, maybe it's some tools. I think sometimes You know, we all need, you were saying in the last episode, like, I'm the person that gives the push. I think a lot of people already know instinctively what they really want to do. Sometimes it's been there since you were a kid. Maybe it's something that you've honed in on uh, professionally over the course of your career. But being able to have someone who can say, yeah, I see you and you can do this. And instead of just keeping it at the fist pump, rah, rah, you know, you can do it level. It's like, okay, let's put a strategy together and map out how you actually are going to do this. And let's get it tested and started, get the ball rolling. So I'm a big believer in finding out what those things are in people or working with people on those things and then being able to say, okay, let's test it. Mm. So that's the kind of push. It's not like, okay, if you don't do this, then you're never going to, you know, have the right mindset to achieve what you want in life. It's more like, okay, why don't we test this out? Why don't we try it? So it's, for example, if it was for someone who wants to build a startup, okay, how can we test and validate that this thing can actually work? Mm. Or how can we roll out a new idea in the organization? So I'm really a believer in seeing people's capacity and what they can do and what they want to achieve at the point in their life they're at. And then being able to put practical steps to mobilize them in that direction. And that gives me so much energy. Yeah. That's sort of, I think I can hear that, one, you can hear your passion. Mm -hmm. Two, you can kind of see that that's the passion that's coming through. Or that's even, I mean, that's the passion that's defined by this ikigai that's coming through, isn't it? Because it's it's sort of what you love. You said it's it's the connection with people. It's, um, you know... The, the the you call it talking but you know the enabling of people but that that's almost what you're good at as well and that's kind of that overlap between mm. the two and and thus it kind of becomes your passion maybe we could even take it down to um or, or take it over to the next one to what the world needs because this quickly kind of converges into exactly what 
you're able to where how you've landed yourself today Hmm, that's true. I mean, if I think about where I started, I started out in advertising. It was in radio. I was 18 and a half. And I started talking with business people about, you know, where maybe people thought, okay, here's some ads on a radio or something like that. I'm sure I've mentioned this in a previous podcast. But anyway, it's more for me, it was like, how does your business work? What's important to you? What do you want to get out of this business? What kind of uh, aspirations do you have? What reach do you want to have? All of these kinds of things start coming up when you talk to someone about why they're doing what they're doing and where they want to go to. So I'm a big believer in, okay, if you can find out where that destination is, then working out how do you get from A to B. And like you said, I do think that the world needs it now. We've got this surge of entrepreneurship. There's a lot of reports saying that there are going to be more um, there are already are more oh, yeah. uh, small business owners, more entrepreneurs. There's people who are solopreneurs, There's more different types of jobs. Like, yeah. you know, being an influencer wasn't a real job. It, yeah. Some people don't see it as a real one. But, I mean, it is a real job. It's yeah, a paid full-time paid. job, you know. Being a YouTuber, like, just there's just so many new jobs coming up that people are creating themselves. Or, you know, they're just, cre- yeah, creative about how, how to serve a small niche market maybe you know it's not a full-time job that they that they have to have anymore and they do it for fun and mm. often something for fun just get some demand and then naturally it's enough to kind of pay their bills can we get some stats on the gig economy i think that would be really interesting because just find out here In 2023, the projected gross volume of the gig economy is, is expected to reach 455.2 billion US dollars. The gig economy is commonly known as digital platforms that allow freelancers to connect with clients for short-term contracted work or share. Again, uh, globally, it's expected to grow from 204 billion to 455 billion dollars. Okay. And a compound annual growth rate of 17.4%. So that is... Wow. Yeah. It's quite yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah, right? And, and then there's like plat- new platforms coming up every day. And when there's new platforms, you know, like drivers, mm. then you kind of create um, an opportunity for them. Or, you know, I know in India, there's another type of platform where mothers can just make lunch, like lots of lunches, and they just mm. get delivered out. And so these are all like just random um, small gigs. Like, yeah, these two-sided you know. marketplaces are really um, making the gig economy boom and all the, you know, the digital work yeah. now. And... So I think taking it back to what we're, you were saying earlier, um, with all these options now, it's it's opportunities for people. They're, they are opportunities for people. And that's almost a type of leverage, right? It's Again, it comes back to are more jobs open on the other side. And for somebody who's doing, you know, a, a nine-to-five or just anything that they're kind of coming to a breaking point on it's a time for them to you know rethink themselves and you know maybe I want to take care of plants half the day and do dog sitting half the day and mm. you know do freelance art for an, uh, another part of the day so I think that um, makes sense that a lot of people have all these options now but I think options don't come easy because sometimes when you have too many options like we have now you get to some type of paralysis and you're like oh what do I do what am I good at again what do I, do I love to do what's my passion Mm. And you start going going back to that question. So I do think that's what the world needs. And, you know, you sort of have the right type of coaching, the right type of tools and frameworks to guide them through their own, you know, career strategy or, or, or their own like 
want to say life aspiration in the way that, you know, we sometimes talk about it too big, but, mm. you know, they're short-term goals. Yeah, and I think what you said about people saying, what could I do, and there being so many different paths, I think that comes back to my emphasis on the whole testing and trying something out because I think you can have a lot of options, but, again, if the market isn't ready for what you are delivering, it's going to be really hard to get the ball rolling or take it take it off and usually people have a few different ideas uh, so testing and trying things is so fundamental to being able to have that career transition or you know trying something new yeah so that's the what you get paid for part I guess and it's so important how do you find that part how do I find that part as in when I'm working with people or for myself uh for yourself like you know how has it been for you to put all this together? You know, there's something that you love. Um, now you know what you're also good at and, you know, there's a market for it. Um, or that's what the world needs and, and that there's a market for it. How do you kind of finally get paid for that? Oh, how do I do it? I guess, I guess one part of it is I'm never... I think for me, I'm so open to serendipitous opportunities. So I have an idea of what I want to do and the people I want to help. And I have an idea of what, you know, what kind of income that I want and how to grow it. But I think it's a process. And this whole, you know, being able to test and try things out doesn't mean that you're going to be in the money straight away. You know, you've got to think of it as a marathon and not a sprint. And what you're willing to sacrifice maybe financially or otherwise in the short term in order to have the long-term perspective and be able to have do the things that you really are passionate about doing while getting a good income you know, having your guy in general so i think for me part of it is having some sort of idea of where i want to head and also knowing what i'm passionate about i think because i started in business so young i think that business acumen of thinking okay how can i collaborate with people or what kind of opportunities there are part of it is putting myself out there and being really open to that the serendipitous opportunities but the other thing is in problem solving and i think whether you're a freelancer consultant what or you have a startup or you're in a company wanting to do something new i think it's really important to problem solve and talk to your market talk to your potential customers. So for me, whether it's advising a corporate organization or you know a startup incubator program, being able to identify what does, what does the client need and can I problem solve and test and try things out so I can start working with them. Mm. Maybe at the start, you're doing things pro bono or maybe it's a smaller fee, but when people see what you can do and it has, you're delivering what the market needs, then I think, you know that's where the ball starts rolling and yeah and that's that's great advice especially because you've spent your time doing exactly that testing and trying your own you know your own career out until now you you're getting paid for exactly you know what you said there and I guess you're describing more specifically there about your you know your journey in the freelancing and consulting world while you're kind of in a good advice giving mode Mm -hmm. do you have any like do you have anything to say what to those who are sort of more in a, you know, uh, more in a corporate setting or in a, a setting where they don't want to make the big jump um, or they're not jumping into freelance. Oh, yeah, I would say the first thing is writing things down is invaluable. You know, I, I wouldn't say I'm a very consistent uh, journaler or 
anything like that but I usually write down what is it that I want and sometimes I don't know but just by free writing maybe not even problem solving it's just writing down where you're at and where you want to go that is just really helpful for I think it's something about priming your mind I've never thought about it mm. but you know the reason I think people say all this universe stuff of like if you put it out there and it gets you know I don't know why I have an American <laughs> accent when I'm doing that I think it's just all the American uh, you know what's it called motivational yeah. talk <laughs> so not anything to you but I think the point or the reason that that sometimes work is not because the universe or in my humble opinion that you the universe is conspiring specifically for you and in your favor whilst the people that are in desperate situations are suffering because of their own you know fault I fundamentally disagree with that about this whole universe thing and I think it's quite a privileged way to think that we can attract the things we want mm -hmm. uh, but I think when you write down what's important to you you start priming your mind and you start being open to connecting with the right people so going back to in a corporate setting still getting really clear on okay is there a fundamental change you want to make in the organization are there um things that you can see that could be improved or whatever it is write it down but then something that we know from studies i know i was doing this um consulting work in stockholm about four years ago and there was a professor who was talking about how networks work in big organizations so you've got the hierarchy and uh, you know the different levels of management and then on the other side you have informal networks mm. and I think informal networks are the most invaluable thing and that's how we actually get shit done it's not by going up the ladder or following the chains of yeah. command it's finding someone in this part of the organization or that and it's connecting and seeing how you can get some momentum and I would call that and it's something that I called it when I was working in politics before I came to Norway is it's finding your coalition of the willing. Yeah. And when you find that, that can also help you mobilize. So I cannot stress how much I underestimated um, the power of, you know, a sponsor. And, and of course, it can go both ways, right? Like there's no higher level, lower level. Um, sure, often if you're closer to the top, you're closer to decisions being made. Um, so it's always helpful to kind of have... Um, you know, sponsors and mentors in the you know up and down the the ladder at you know in an organization or in other organizations in your whole network really, but I cannot en emphasize enough how much I underestimated that. I surely cared for finding a mentor. I knew to find a mentor soon out of soon after getting out of college in my first job. But I think I I never I just saw it as kind of getting you know, good advice and having someone to talk to, but never really thought, you know, of finding somebody to kind of tap into, to kind of unlock opportunities both ways, right? And um, mm. I think that finally came kind of naturally. And I don't really know how to say, I think you can, of course, hear people tell you how to do it and go out there and practice it. But I think ultimately for me, I found it through just like, trial and error right like you said you just kept trying and then you kind of learn and this is what's working and what's not and eventually I found what really works was that and it's kind of silly because somebody has told people have sort of hinted at that to me before but I've never really understood what that meant what it meant to have you know sponsors uh, and mentors sometimes they're two in the same or sometimes they're not um, 
in your network so and that's yeah i would say it's creating a network in your network yeah absolutely you know so it's several people or many different people that you know contribute in one form or another and maybe you have a shared value system or shared idea about how you want to progress yeah and that is incredibly helpful because because you can be each other's you know you're helping each other you're opening doors for each other Mm. so you're kind of broadening the network both ways and i think as also it's important to remember that it's a numbers game you know when you have that energy and pizzazzle or whatever it is that is inspiring you to do something different you're not going to win all the hearts and minds. But if you find someone with that sparkle behind their eyes and you've got that chemistry, you know, that's where it is. Yeah. And that I really believe that you can make magic happen. And I think there's doing it together with people is one part of it. And as we've talked about before, it's also sometimes it's being a connector Yeah. is also helpful. So maybe you're not a part of the, the driving force, but you're connecting yeah. good people. and Oh, okay. I thought you were going down the route of like, what if you're not the connector? Because right? I, I have lots of more introverted friends um, who are kind of, I feel like the way this could come off as is that it's more extrovert friendly, mm. um, which may be the case when it comes to networking. But I think if you're not the connector yourself, something you could do is to get to a connector absolutely and i think the thing is whether you're a connector or not i don't think uh, the introversion versus extroversion matters so much if you have something of value to share with others so being a connector your your value is in your network yeah so if you're not a connector maybe you have uh, specific skills or ideas that you can contribute so it, you're you're adding value you know you've got it's i i really think you've got to think of what's your main currency is your main currency your skill is it you know is it a certain way of thinking or behaving so whatever your currency is use that and if it's not connecting like you said yeah. find the connectors that can help you find people yeah. that you need to mobilize whatever it is that you want to achieve right can I just um, be controversial here for a second? No. Because. Bring it on. <laughs> you know, I, I think uh, you've got action as one of your biggest strengths. Um, uh, you're, you, take, take, you take action. You sound know, like, like a little. <laughs> so silly. What is it? <laughs> when you said you've got action as your strength, my response was like, <laughs> I don't know why. Do you I feel get... like, the, like a Marvel Universe superhero? <laughs> you should, because you really are when it comes to that. But I have to say, like, I'm, I'm here staring at this Venn diagram, and it looks beautiful. And it looks like it's the answer to life. You know, it's like, oh, here's something that you can find that you love, you're good at it, the world needs it, and you paid for it. Wow, it's the icky guy. But it looks really hard. It looks really hard to find. Um, and also, you know, I'm, or I, I don't want to say what I'm not, because I know when you think, think that sometimes it reinforces it like sure I'm not the biggest action taker but we you know that we take action when we need to and that's kind of how we've gotten to where we have um, oh I mean in terms of action I think you know you talk about me being inspiring in my ways but for you 
I just, you are such an action-oriented person. Like, yes, you're very strategic and very creative, but you have done so much, like you've made so much shit happen. You know, it's not just in this situation where life's given you some lemons, but coming into Norway and how you've paved a way, you know, we've paved our way in, in different settings, but getting into these big corporate organizations, being able to make impact, joining the startups, like everything you've done, is so inspiring and so action oriented so you know you need to just give yourself a pat on the back right there oh. well thank you for that i mean i'm still looking at even with all of that and it gives me definitely a lot of encouragement to be reminded you know like okay I, i'm gonna make it out of this uh and i always do but it's still like i said it looks really hard right like um mm. For me, who's a bit obsessed with impact work, naturally comes with how do you measure it because I'm all for, you know, good purpose and mission, but you have to ultimately measure in order to know you are making it. And for, as an example, I'm just giving this concrete example because um, in, the space, in the space of impact measurement and management, um, having studied it and, and uh, been with a professor who specializes in, the, in, in impact management and measurement, it's, I've learned that it's, such a, it's still an emerging field. And it's, it's the world, what the world needs, but really like not in a way where they will pay for it. Um, and on top of that, like, you know, how, how can we, one be really good at it when it's an emerging field and I haven't mm. really explored it, but like I have, quanti- I have a decent quantitative background and qualitative you kind of know that it, it can work when you finally get hired but I, f- I find that as an example it's not really landing I'm not landing in the middle I'm like landing on the outskirts a little bit you know um, and I wonder if that's the case for others but I think also when you're pioneering something new it's again it kind of comes back to the whole marathon thing so because this is a pioneering field, it's not, you know, we've talked about um, organizations not really, you know, people are saying, oh, sustainability is the big thing right now and, oh, we need to measure it. But it's not going from this kind of idealistic, what's the word, idealistic viewpoint to actually concrete outcomes because, you know, mm. The, there's not enough rhetoric around triple bottom line that is concrete and actionable. So again, whether it's you know doing something like consulting where there's a lot of people doing it or pioneering a completely new path, I think it's seeing it as a marathon instead of a sprint. Mm. So I need to come up with little sprints exactly. that make up that marathon. Yeah, because the thing is, maybe at the start, it's like, okay, well, part of the work that you do, say you want to focus on that, maybe part of it is uh, internally with your organization saying, hey, are there some metrics or something that we can test and try uh, and play around with this? Mm-hmm. So it's like it doesn't, like you said, it's the small sprints. Yeah. So maybe that's where it is. Maybe it's doing a test pilot with an organization like you know you've got different boards that you're on the organizations of Mm. and supporting startups especially in the climate and environment field maybe it's also working with them so it's are there areas that you can test and pilot it and bring those skills in but use some of the other skills that you have like you know being very strategic but very vision oriented but you know concrete as yeah, well yeah sometimes I can look a bit too far ahead and mm. my focus is on this like 
the the vision right and mm. I cannot see close to me it's like I'm what is it when you're kind of you can see far but you can't see close so that the far side yeah I'm far it's like in re- in real life I'm nearsighted mm. I actually need glasses but you know in my head I'm farsighted <laughs> yeah yeah and, I, but um, I think that's totally understandable and I think most people who want to pioneer and do things differently they're very vision oriented but sometimes it especially when something really hasn't hit the market as important where do you find the place for it so that's where I think being able to say, okay, I have a suite of things that I do. Say for you, as an example, being a consultant, um, you have a suite of things that you can do, but you can start introducing people to this. And then the more you introduce, the more things get underway. It's like, okay, well, we've had some success with this new way of doing things. It doesn't have to be your everything. So like, for example, with me, I love uh, corporate innovation, but it's still something that you know, is a buzzword more than actually being able to focus on entrepreneurship Mm. in big organizations. But I started just doing little bits of that. So I was doing the leadership strategy, uh, sprints, those kinds of things. But then I was like, okay, well, what about we test something really different? And so it was just little things. And now that business has started building up because of the tests here and there. And sure, I had the knowledge or the skills to do it before the market was ready, but you, you know, it's again, finding the coalition of the willing or that person with that sparkle in their eyes that says, Hey, let's try this new thing and see how it goes. And if we fail, who gives a shit? We're going to try it anyway, because this is where we should be heading. And so you need someone who also has a bit of that far sightedness, but that can mobilize and, and that's why I found you like, like, you know, (laughs) helping each other or different people as well. Um, absolutely. Um, I, I just, I found this quote and mm-hmm. I think whether it's, it, it's an entrepreneurial quote, many people have probably heard it, but I think it applies to both being, um, having that vision if you're working in a big organization or you're paving the road for yourself. But it's like, it says entrepreneurship is living a few years of your life like most people won't so that you can spend the rest of your life like most people can't. Hmm. So I'm just going to say it again. Entrepreneurship is living a few years of your life like most people won't so that you can spend the rest of your life like most people can't. And see, I don't see that saying as in like, you know, you have to live in the back of a car or in your parents' garage and, you know, sit behind a computer and hide away from the world. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about when you have that pioneering spirit, sometimes you have to, maybe you're going down in salary or maybe there's parts of your lifestyle that you need to compromise because the market's not ready for it yet so you have to go through the education process of teaching people yeah it's part of your job right yeah that's part of your job so that's why you know the the few the you know the part of so you can spend the rest of your life like most people can't it's not just about as in you know having an idea for a startup and then becoming a unicorn worth a billion us dollars or whatever it's not that it's about saying okay if you're really passionate about something and this is the end goal of where you want to be it's going to be a slow burn it's going to be a lot of trial and error testing it and putting it out there you're going to have to compromise on some things to begin with but the end goal is you get to live out what you're passionate about doing Mm. make money from it enjoy using those skills and yeah, I feel like I'm the I'm the downer, I'm the rain on your parade. No, this no. is good. So we the, need the, both the because is, people are probably like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like, <laughs> this sounds is, too cheesy. No, I, I love it. I love it. But, uh, the thing is, 
for people our age, like early mid thirties, really early thirties, you know, entry sort of level professionals at this point, you know, for people at our age or in our point in life, it's really hard to when you say that quote, and you're kind of in the put in the years that people won't, and you're in those years. It doesn't feel you don't really know if you'll get the payout. You know what I mean when time mm, comes mm. in the years that people can't sort of and payout. I mean the quote can read definitely as financially alone. Yeah, but, or the payoff. Yeah, payout, but payout. I guess, but I suppose it can read both ways financially and also mm. you know person like life goals wise and lifestyle. So you know I'm just thinking when you're kind of in it, it's hard to know if you're gonna be. One of the ones who actually make it out,、mm. if you see what I mean, versus those who don't. I that can think, be quite hard、yeah. on you know people in in our age,、uh, and family is not to bring up like a whole universe of problems, but family planning is nonetheless a part of our everyday lives. I've spoken with so many people、um, around this right now.、Mm. I think okay, maybe this. Will sound too simplistic for our listeners, but I think one part of it is is the yes you need a plan to get from A to B, and that is super important. You can't just throw it out to the universe. The other thing is having a long term mindset, so being able to think three five years ahead. I think three years is good because it's kind of like okay, it's an achievable range which seems close. Whereas sometimes I think five years seems just too far away, and I also think part of when you have a strategy from A to get from A to B, you know serendipity happens along the way. So you talk to people, you end up maybe someone else is building on your ideas, or you find a new opportunity that's you know branching off from the core of what you want to do, but is still a part of it. It's not completely、yeah. outside. It's still a branch on the same tree of aspirations. Let's say or goals, but then when you do that, I think part of it is trusting the process. So I know in my first year of business in Norway, I remember thinking like, "Shit, where is my next pay going to come from?" You know, in July, everyone has time off. Yeah, it's not very freelance friendly. No, it? it's not, especially in your first year,、um, where you know I was paying a, a pretty decent amount in rent. I didn't know what was coming in. I had to.、Um, Pay a lot of or put a lot of money aside because I also had to pay some advance taxes. All these kinds of things that you need to worry about. Anyway, I so I remember it was after the summer and I had this amazing holiday. But then I was going into August and I was thinking, shit, like what what's gonna come out of this? And I sort of put my hands in my head and I'd been through a breakup earlier that year and I kind of just felt the weight of everything on my shoulders, and. I I think I even just had like a twenty minute nap or something like that because I was so overwhelmed, and I remember thinking before I you know I thought I just need to lay down and just you know get my head straight, and the thing that came up was just you need to trust the process, and I think I don't mean that in a wishy washy way.、Uh, I mean trust the process of if you're putting one foot in front of the other and you've got. Steps of how to get to where you want to go. It's like these short-term sprints, as you were talking、yeah. about before. You've got to trust that the more you do, and thinking of it as a numbers game as well, the more things that are going to 
yeah. more opportunities are going to come forth the more proactive you are about it. And it was funny because after I woke up from this, you know, little moment that I was having, very real, real moment as well, like how are you going to pay your rent, all the rest of it. But then I had um, two LinkedIn messages came in and then an email about some work and it was just like this reinforced, you know, that was uncanny that it happened then after this whole mini meltdown. But it just reinforced this trust the process. It mightn't happen the next day, but it's just getting back and writing another email to someone, getting in touch, having a coffee, whatever it is that you need to do in order to yeah. get closer to where you want to be. Yeah. But I mean, I think that's how, I think that's how life works. Sometimes it, it knows when to sort of show itself, present itself to you. Right. And it's not, it's not a gift to you. Like these are just planted by you. You know, you yes. planted these, yeah. se- these you know seeds like before and you were just in a place of waiting and patience. Actually, it brings me to the thought that I had earlier, um, which is patience. And this is just more a criticism on myself. I think I'm dealing with two things. One, there's an aspect of me that I, I realize I need. I think I could have more patience. Or I would like to reflect and say, just foot down, I would like to grow my patience mm. for, um, well, for anything. Um but then the other, there's another side, which is when it comes to other things like opportunities, it's really difficult because I fit into like, you know, a few minority groups and so many things are sort of, you know, coming to light these days on how we've been too patient as a, as a whole group, whether mm-hmm. if it's women or, you know, being Chinese American or Asian Americans. And um, it, it's almost like, you know, it's time that we kind of demand for something because you know, we have this old way of thinking we're the foreigner, we have to wait and mm. um, we have to wait our, for our turn. And I'm dealing with these two sides uh, that I find kind of fun. Maybe it's it's too much to, to discuss, but that's something that I've been no, thinking I about. Think, I think this is very important because, you know, there, there is certainly this whole waiting your turn is yes. a very big part of, you know, uh, the reality for minorities. It's just waiting until someone gives you an opportunity. And I think it's Seth Godin who talks about, you know, stop waiting to take your turn because no one's going to give it to you. But it's very, it's, it's, I think it's easier to say when you aren't a minority because how do I, how do I articulate this? Well, I think you, you have all these external pressures against you. So it's not as simple as just saying, okay, I'm going to choose and now I'm stepping it up and it's my turn. Because you've got all these forces against you sometimes that are challenging, you know, this is how things are conventionally done or this is what, you know, where certain minorities should be, whether it's jobs or pay or, you know, level or whatever. So I think that's a really important topic topic to discuss that you should really delve into further. Yeah, let's pick that up another time. Mm. Um, I guess our time is coming to end and I have one uh, closeout rant that I want to, mm, to do. Yes, um, good. So earlier you brought up sprints. Um, so this is maybe this segment, uh, closeout rant, is maybe more for people in like the innovation or or startup or tech space, right? People who know about the agile methodologies, mm. uh, and they work with sprints, and we work with sprints. Um, let me just say, 
I have a big problem with the way that I've seen sprints run almost in every organization. I love the idea that you have you break this big job down into sprints and you test and you iterate. But what I don't love is when you use the word sprints, if you think anything in real life, if you were to actually do interval training, you have interval rest. Mm. But how it translates to in, in like real world sprints is, you know, you go a week of sprint or two weeks of sprints and then it's Friday, the sprint ends on a Friday and it picks up on Monday again. It's like you're, you didn't have actual rest. You had rest that you, you deserve per, you know, your contract and you're, you're in your life, you know, the, this is just a standard. Like work didn't give you time to just reflect on the work you did together. It didn't give you time to bond as a team. It didn't give you time to, um, you know, iterate on the ways that you worked as a team it usually just pick up and go again and I always feel like it's just one sprint after another and I mean imagine if you actually told a marathon runner you're just gonna run like 26 sprint like mile sprints but like one after another I mean that's it's how impossible. I've always felt mm. when people uh, do sprints so um yeah but you're right like my the, rant of the day but it's important like the oscillation between the sprint and like the rest recovery if you think of an athlete there's a classic HBR article I think it's called something like the makings of a corporate athlete I remember I read it at the start of my MBA and I loved it and I've tried uh, I do have a tendency to be a bit of a workaholic but I've tried to realize, you know, when you have that mental rest, even yes, the debriefing part is super important for, you know, where you're at in the, you know, the end of a sprint, but just mental rest yeah. and self-care yeah. and, you know, preventing burnout, all these kinds of things. We talked about burnout in the last one. The reason that um, burnout is becoming so common is because of this. Yeah. And sometimes we just need, you know, some people want to, you know, watch Netflix or, you know, go for a walk around the block or, you know, do something yeah. for yourself personally. And that's what sparks the creativity and ability to reflect, to get, go on to the next phase and, you know, do better. Yeah. And just to be clear, like, I'm not saying uh, it could be, uh, you know, to, to mentally recover, but um, I'm also not saying that, you know, people, companies should just pay people to do nothing for two days. It could just be, you know, some activity or time for yourself to explore your own project, you know, anything, but just a break away from that push on that project. Um, so it can be depending on your goals, right? Like, are you trying to spark creativity? Are you trying to spark productivity? Are you trying to mentally rest? But I feel like you can mix and match these differently um, uh, with what you said as well. So I'm, I'm not pushing for like, oh, we should have two more extra days of yeah, you know, but you need you need the rest, off. and it's funny because I do a lot of sprints yeah, you <laughs> in do. companies. But you are it's that never... marathon runner that I talk yeah. about. Yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> doing twenty six. I uh, you know I I but I think that's really important, and we always incorporate that in the plan. Is that you can't if you keep going and going, you're gonna get burnout, and uh, the project won't go the way you need it to. Exactly. So, absolutely, rest is an important key element and finding a way to do that, you know, whether it's, yeah, in inside work hours or outside work hours, it's like, yeah, you need it. That's a lovely way to wrap up our day. And not to end on my hard rant. <laughs> it was a good rant. It was a needed rant. Yes. Thanks for that space. Until next time, guys. Bye. Ciao.